it was just like one of those games that was like, holy shit, like I'm going against Michael Strahan. Um, ended up giving up two and a half sacks in the first half to him and learned a lesson like, don't lose a game before you start, you know? Right. Like, you're in the NFL too, like these guys, like prepare them, they're just nameless, face, faceless objects, like just do your job, and take care of yourself and don't worry about who you're blocking. Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet by learning from high performers in a variety of industries. Our next guest is Joe Staley. Joe is a six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and named to the NFL's 2010s All-Decade team. Joe was forced to retire after the Super Bowl in the 2019 season because of a neck injury. Since then, he's been working with offensive linemen preparing for the draft, and one of them is Bill's current rookie, Spencer Brown. You will appreciate Joe's approach to the game. You'll get some behind-the-scenes NFL talk, and you will learn a ton through this episode. There are over 100,000 new podcasts being released each week, so it means the world to me that you spent your time tuning into this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share it on your social media, please, so that we can make an impact. Enjoy. Joe, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Yeah, man. To be on here. Absolutely. I was always a huge fan of yours throughout my career. You played the game the right way. I got to see a ton of your film when Greg Roman came to the Bills. We were constantly watching 49ers film. We got to spend a little time at the Pro Bowl, which only made me a bigger fan of yours. So I'm pumped to unpack your story a little bit here today. And we've got a weight loss journey that we could both talk about a little bit and, and talk about what you're doing now. But let's start kind of by you growing up. Talk about where you grew up. And what sports did you play growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in Michigan. Um, I was sports obsessed from a very early age. Um, I think that everybody that ends up typically as a professional athlete kind of has the same journey when they're a young kid. It was a yep. sports obsessed. I played every single sport. Um, baseball was my first love. Um, Mom always tells a story when I was growing up. Was, I wasn't very good, but I loved it so much. I practiced all the time, and I had one game in particular. I was like eight years old, struck out probably three times, came back in the car, like dejected, but still full of um, aspirations. I came in, and she goes, she goes, oh, how was that? And I was like, you know what, Mom? When I make it to the major leagues, I'm just probably not going to be one of the more well-known ones. So I, <laughs> that was my mindset always was like, I'm just going to be a, a professional athlete, a professional baseball player. And didn't understand that, you know, you actually have to be good. So um, I played all the sports, got cut eventually because I wasn't very good um, at all of them. Uh, football was the one that they didn't really cut because you just kind of stayed with it and right. just were on the team. I was, I mean, freshman year uh, was third string. Um, JV was on, like, I was second string JV. And then I just had, like, a growth spurt kind of grew in my body. Um, I was always really tall, but never filled out. And then um, it was just like the sport that I stayed with. And, um, you know, then my kind of journey in the football world kind of began from there, from junior, senior year on. I was good, did track um, just for football. I played receiver, actually, in high wow. school. Um, it was a sprinter in track. Um, had some offers to actually go to tr do track in college, but decided that football was a little bit better. Um, 
but yeah, and then I just uh, went to Central Michigan, and then in 2007 got drafted and went on from there. So you're a sprinter in high school. Eventually, you're going to make that transition in, into an offensive lineman. I was a backup tight end my junior year of high school. Yeah. I ended up putting on 50 pounds for my senior year to play some offensive line. Started that year, ended up getting one scholarship offer to the University of Louisville. And so I was already on the O-line track. You went in as a tight end, I believe, to Central yeah. Michigan. At what point did you put the weight on, and how tough was it to put it on? Yeah, I mean – Similar to everybody that kind of had the similar journey that we had is it's miserable. I mean, you tell that story of like to someone that is not living it is like, oh, that sounds awesome. You can eat whatever you want right. and all that stuff. And it's disgusting. I mean, <laughs> especially for how long you had to do it. Cause I, like you said, I was a, I was a receiver in junior year, senior year. They kind of like put me a little bit of tight end, but I was more of like a, a receiver. And then I got recruited to play tight end and so I was putting weight on just to be a tight end. And then I continued to put weight on as I got there. And then my sophomore year, they were like, all right, we're going to move you to tackle because we don't use tight ends. We have Brian Kelly come in. He's like, tight ends aren't really a big part of my offense, but I really need a tackle. And I was 245 pounds at the time. Wow. Like, you're going to be a right tackle. So I was like, okay, now I really have to put weight on. And yeah, it's miserable. I mean, you, you wake up. I would wake up myself up every single night at 2 o'clock in the morning um, I had like a pre-made peanut butter and jelly sandwich and like a weight gainer shake that I would do. I was always feeling like gross. This always felt like completely bloated all the time. Um, and then you put, on top of that, you're putting out so many workouts because you're trying to put on like good weight. Mm -hmm. um, so it was about like a 20 year or 20 pounds a year I was doing um, from when I got into college to when I graduated. So I was Played that first year like 250, the next year like 270, 275, and then my senior year I was about 295, 300 pounds. Wow. Was it a struggle for you to keep the weight on throughout your NFL career? At first, no, because I just was in that complete mindset. And I also, too, when I got in the league, it was different. It was still like the edge rushers were still these 280-pound, like 290-pound guys. It was like, right. you know, Grant Winstrom, uh, James Hall. There were guys that were in our division. Um, they're bigger type edge setters. And so they wanted their linemen to be like 330. And so when I got there, they were like, you need to put on 20 more pounds. So I just continued that same kind of mindset that I had. And at one point I did get on a scale one time when I was in the NFL, like my second or third year, I was 325, 328 pounds. Wow. I couldn't move at all. And so then I made a conscious decision. I was like, I need to get down like 305 is my weight. I can move. I'm an athletic player. That's how I got into the league. Like I can't sacrifice that for just weight. So um, then I was about 305. And then once I played that round there, it was hard for me to um, like keep that weight because naturally my body kind of wanted to go down because I was a little bit, you know, obviously too ballooned up. So it was nice in the fact that I could eat whatever I wanted all the time. I never had to really worry about that, but it was also kind of, a detriment as I got older because I was having to eat kind of gross stuff all the time to right. keep weight on that I wasn't doing my body any favors and so I was feeling sluggish as you as you age and all that stuff so that was one of the nice things when I retired and I was able to actually just eat healthy food and really just put in like good fuel in my body it just felt so much better it had so much more energy I was like god I wish I felt like this when I was playing I know it. So going back, you were talking about the big DNs. I get drafted to the Bills. I'd only played center in college. 
and I was playing right around 305 or so. The Bills draft me, and they say, you're going to play guard. Well, I'm looking around the NFL. The guards are enormous. The yeah. pro bowlers are uh, Jari Evans at 350-something, yeah. uh, Carl Nix at 3-whatever yeah. you want to call him, 370. I mean, the guards were huge. Logan Mankins was in our division, but even he was like 315 or so, and that was a yeah. small guard. So I was like, okay, well, looking around our division, the guys in the middle are Vince Wilfork, Chris Jenkins, Paul Soliai. Like, I better get bigger. So I, I decided I needed to put on some weight. I played my rookie year at like 316, 315, and I broke my leg, did nothing. You know, I did the Joe Theismann leg break for like three weeks. I do nothing. I'm just laying around. I get on a scale again, I'm 278. I was oh. like, oh, no. So I had to fight to get back. And then I played the rest of my career, 305, 310. The Bills were always trying to get me bigger. And I, I would like – this sounds terrible, and there are a bunch of Bills fans listen, but I would spike my way in every Friday. We would always go eat a big dinner on Thursday. That was like me and my wife's routine. And then I would just chug water on Friday oh, yeah. morning so that I'd weigh like 309, 310. And so I, I played at that weight. And then finally towards the end of my career, we got a little bit better with, I guess, the sports science – aspect of it and I started eating a little healthy and I could even feel it then and then you talk about like for the first time in your life well the first time since you were you know 19 years old you get to eat healthy feel good again and then you feel what not being inflamed feels like for the first time and you're like yes. oh like I'm not even doing anything different and I don't have to take anti-inflammatories anymore to make my joints feel good like wow this I was is incredible I don't know if you had a similar um experience though but that was a little bit scary at first for when I first retired, um, cause you kind of rely on like anti-inflammatories as you, right. as I did at least at the end of my career, um, to even just like get through practice and get through the week. And it wasn't just for game days. It was just like to feel good. And so I was like, my body was used to having that medication to help me get through my like anti-inflammatories and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden I just go cold Turkey. And I was like, Oh, that first month was just miserable. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, the diet kicks in, your actual routines, and you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't need that. But um, it's weird when you eliminate something immediately from your, from your like, repertoire of what you do in your life. I know. I was always an innocent guy through the week, and then I'd take Tordal shots on game day. Then oh. they banned the Tordal shots, so I just kept the innocent rolling for probably six months at a time. And I would do the blood work to make sure it wasn't messing with my stomach. I don't know how credible that all was. I think they were pretty – pretty just hey just take it if it's allowing you to do your job just go take it but we're both you know neck injuries essentially ended both of our careers mine was an abrupt stop you played through yours you know through that last year how tough was it playing where you're hitting people and now you got all this numbness in your body well, I didn't realize it at first um and it really didn't get bad where it was pretty like noticeable um, I had other stuff going on throughout that whole season. I mean, I only played, I think, nine games in the regular season for that last final year. So I missed seven for a leg break. Um, I had an issue with my finger that I had to get a bunch of pins put in, so I missed a game for that. Um, I had a bunch of other game. stuff during the regular season. And then, you know, as we get down to the, the, in the playoffs is when I first noticed it really bad. And one of the games was like the first drive of the game against the Vikings. and. Um, I don't know if I got hit or whatever, but I just was like, that's new. That's weird. That's different. And then it just progressively got worse throughout the whole playoffs. But, you know, I wasn't thinking I was going to be retiring because I didn't know that my neck was 
what it was, but um, also I wasn't gonna like miss time. I didn't, they wanted to get like images done. I was like, I'm not getting any images done. Like this is, this might be my last ride to get a chance to go win a Super Bowl. Like our team was really good. We were dialed in, just felt really good about where we were at. I was like, I'm not missing any time. Like I don't want them to tell me that I can't play. Right. Um, which they probably would have if they took an image of it. Um, and I was like, I can play through this and I'll be fine. And you know, you guys, it's, it's, it's good and bad because you guys football players are especially like our era, like the older era. Um, when we came up, you're just taught to like play through pain and then like, unless it's broken or torn, like you can get through it. And so I don't know, probably not good looking back on it, but I got through it and I was able to, you know, play in the Super Bowl. And, but it was really bad. I mean, it, it was bad. That yeah, Super Bowl week, it was, um, Super Bowl week was unbelievable for me. It was a, just a, a week from hell is what I would describe it as. Hmm. And you hate to describe like the pinnacle moment, the end of your career, make it to a Super Bowl and describe it as a week from hell. But there's so many guys in the NFL dealing with stuff like that. I remember my final game was a playoff game against the Jaguars, and I was blocking a guy that I had spent five years in Buffalo with, Marcel Darius. And I blocked back on him on a power, which is my easiest block that I have the entire game. The ball's going that way. I can let him go upfield. All I can't – he just can't cross my face. And I blocked back, got another stinger. I probably had 30-something that year. But you can't say anything about a stinger at that point or else you enter the concussion protocol, which doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So I, I just kind of fall to a knee. My right arm's numb. You know, I lose grass, Marcel. And after the play, he's like, what was that? And I was like, <laughs> dude – I've been dealing with these stinger deals. He's like, well, that ain't good. And Marcel's yeah. one of those guys. He's so good. He can just have a conversation during the game. Um, but th it was times like that where I was like, man, something might be wrong, but we have this special run going with the Bills. We break this 17-year playoff drought. I'm not missing my first playoff game in my ninth year. Like, I can't yeah. miss it. And Richie left. So I probably had 30 stingers that year. This is the first time I ever had a stinger in my life. And Richie got a stinger in the playoff game and told him about it so he missed like a quarter and I'm sitting there like Richie get back in the game what are you doing like you can't you'll get feeling back in here you'll be fine don't worry about it yeah I'm like what are you doing dude get back in the game but yeah it's, it's a it's amazing what you play for what was your what was your final diagnosis what did they say about your neck um so it was the three I had three herniations at the c3 c4 c4 c5 c5 c6 and wow. then um and all three of those levels, they said severe stenosis. So yeah, it was just a bunch of like compressed nerves and it wasn't really like it was a, you know, it wasn't like a debilitating thing. It was just like every time I got hit in a certain way, arms would go numb. Um, I had a lot of numbness. So the last month of my, like the whole playoffs for about a month from the NFC championship game through the Super Bowl, and then probably about a two week period after that, like couldn't feel the right side of my face. Um, they were checking me for like strokes and stuff. I was like, wow, a little bit freaked out. Like the week of the Super Bowl is, was like, I, I'll say this a little bit. Like I had so much nerve stuff that was going on. Like basically I've talked to this doctor. He said, your, your body right now thinks it's in the fight or flight. Like your nerves are so messed up that your brain is kind of like going off. And so I wasn't able to sleep. So the week leading up to the Super Bowl, I got five, six hours of combined sleep that I got wow. for the whole week before the Super Bowl, before the biggest game in your life, you're about to be watched, you know, and then you have like your normal anxieties and all that stuff going on. So it was miserable. I mean, we're sitting in the national anthem 
before the Super Bowl, I'm on the sidelines. My body is like just completely shutting down. I always would like kind of like just close my eyes and like breathe a little bit before the before the game started to calm myself. I did that. Bombs bursting in air, bombs go off in the in the stadium and all that stuff. And it like jolted me awake. Like that's how my body was oh like falling asleep because I was just so exhausted from the week and the nerve stuff. And we got through it, but you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a solid game by any means for me. So I was uh just Bummer that it ended that way, a career that I was very proud and uh, loved every minute of playing in the NFL, but kind of a bummer way to go out. No, I mean, in, yeah, I, I would say that's a bummer way to go out because it stinks that you weren't able to play your best at the end. But the fact that you pushed through that, that's something you'll be able to say for the rest of your life. And you played at such a high level for so long that you have so much to be proud of throughout your career and I, I know looking back now introspectively I'm sure you appreciate that but in the yeah. moment I, I I know how you felt um yeah you just want to in your moment like you know the, the Super Bowl you want to be playing and peaking at your best you know no matter what and it was just a it was a grind to get through that but I will say that to your point is like that was one of those life moments that I had where in the moment it was so like mentally taxing for me to like stay up and focus and ready and get through that. And then after it was done, it was like, one of those things is like, if I can get through that and that, like, you know, the eyes and the pressure and all that stuff and like how my body was feeling and how much stuff I was dealing with, like I can get through, you can push your mind to get through anything. You know, your body will really just do what you practice over and over and over again. So absolutely. It really was just muscle memory for me at that point. No doubt about it. I want to ask you a couple more football questions as far as like on-field stuff. And then I'd love to talk just some mind stuff, some transition into the NFL, out of the NFL. But who was the toughest DN for you to go against in your career? Well, um, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I like, I've learned stuff from big time. Uh, the guy that was consistently the hardest that I could never figure out was DeMarcus Ware. Mm. Um, I never had a solid game. I think I played him like four times, never had a solid game against him. He was just so good. He could do so many different things. Um, he was really long. He was like fast enough to beat you on the edge, strong enough. He just had everything and he played really well. He was really crafty. Um, learned a ton from my, my rookie year. I played a game against Strahan and it was like my fourth game in the NFL and I was completely intimidated by going against him and completely psyched myself out before the game. Um, it was just like one of those games I was like, holy shit, like I'm going against Michael Strahan. Um, ended up giving up two and a half sacks in the first half to him and learned a lesson like, don't lose a game before you start, you know? Right. Like, you're in the NFL too. Like these guys, like prepare them. They're just nameless, face, faceless objects. Like just do your job and take care of yourself and don't worry about who you're blocking. Um, and then I, I honestly, like, Alden Smith, when he first got to the NFL, he was, uh, those first, like, four years that he was there with San Francisco, I'd practice against him every single day. made me so much better. He was mm -hmm. so naturally talented and, and gifted. And, you know, it was just kind of a shame how his career kind of ended it abruptly with, uh, you know, the off-the-field stuff. But happy to see him back in the league. But he was so, I mean, when he first got in there, he was so good. He was good, and he was playing next to Justin Smith, which is freeing him up all yeah. the time. You talk about losing a game before you start. I had that moment, too, when I got in the NFL. My, my first game ever was against Vince Wilfork on Monday Night Football. That was the, our first game my rookie year. And, That's a way to go into it. <laughs> but, but it was probably like midway through the first quarter, 
that I realized that they had other guys that were playing harder than him that I didn't even know their name prior to like looking at the game plan and looking at film that week, like Mike Wright and some of these other guys that were even tougher than Will Fork to block in situations. And I'm like, okay, get the names out of your head. It's like, who's in a contract year? Who plays the hardest down in the down out? What are their tendencies? And just look at their numbers and play. I remember we played out in San Francisco in 2010, my second year, I was still playing guard. And we played against Justin Smith. I had a Justin Smith jersey when I was in high school. I grew up in Cincinnati. I was a big Bengals fan. I had a Justin Smith jersey. And so I'm going against him. And and I think I put him up on a pedestal too much. And, you know, he's – not that I was scared of it, but you don't get a playoff from Justin Smith. You don't get a series off because he's out there snorting ammonia caps on the field before every series. And then every time you think you got him, here comes Alden Smith around because it's a game and he just hooked you under your shoulder pads. And he was so Justin was so strong too. Like people didn't realize that he was like unnaturally strong where it was like, he hit you and you were like, you felt it no matter what. I mean, he was like that in practice. We, so he played on my side and he, the three, four in, and he was always, you know, either he would either line up as a three technique or straight up head up on me. So we would bang each other every single day in practice. And he was a good practice player. I mean, he, he really, like, gave it effort. And he wasn't, like, a guy, an old vet that was, like, you know, only going to turn up on game day. So we practiced really hard against each other. But there was one day in training camp one year that he was – and he had just kind of got there. Um, and maybe it was, like, our first or second year. He was just becoming, like, the Justin Smith that everybody was knowing and fearing, like the first-team all-pro Justin Smith. And – he was hurting a little bit or he just like kind of was, you know, he, he never did this, but he came up to me that day. He was like, Hey, we just need to fit up today. Um, I just want you to come off the ball. I'll just fit up and, you know, make it look good for film. So I was right. Like, All right. Sounds good. I had a coach, Mike Solari. I don't know if you know Mike Solari. He is, uh, he was, he was one of the most intense coaches. He just was like, he was a guy you never wanted to disappoint. Right. So, Justin said this to me, but then in the back of my mind, I'm like, I can't do that because Coach Slaughter would be so upset and like disappointed in me in my effort. So I come off the off the uh, on the practice field. We're running nine on seven. Very first snap, come off the ball. We're running power to the left. I come off. I give Justin everything I have. Yeah. Right. I come off the ball as hard as I can, fit him up really good. It feels like a really great block. I have great leverage. I'm fitted up on him. He's fitted up on me. I'm running my feet. I get a little bit of movement. He, after the play, you know, play goes by, whistle blows. He taps me on the stomach and he's like, dude, that was perfect. <laughs> I was like, dude, I gave you everything I had. And oh. this guy, this guy was like, yeah, that was great. Way to, way to go through the motions. Oh my That's how God. good he was. So That's hysterical. Justin, Justin's one of my uh, favorite, favorite guys too. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, dude. That's incredible. So you play 13 years all for the 49ers. What advice do you have for guys or, or what do you feel like you did on a day-to-day basis besides just being really good at your job that allowed you to play for the same organization for 13 years? Well, I think one of the reasons why I was able to play for the same organization for 13 years, not because I didn't want to, it was definitely a goal of mine to do that, just to play with one organization. Mm-hmm. Um, also did not, but it's because I, I didn't maximize my, my contracts. Um, yeah. you know, I, I signed contracts really early 
I over, you know, I outplayed a lot of the, the contracts that I had. Um, Niners were great to me. They kind of, you know, they took care of me, but I was never like one of those guys that were like, all right, his cap number is a little bit high. We got to think about getting rid of him or maybe moving them or anything like that. So um, that was number one. You know, and I kind of tell guys now, I was like, hey, make sure you maximize your value. You know, you don't want to be in a position where you're in your prime of your career feeling like you're incredibly, um, you know, underappreciated. So not that I felt unappreciated, but I felt, you know, like I wasn't maximizing my value as an NFL player at the time. Yeah, because you could have um, set, set the market a few times. If I would have hit free agency, yeah. I mean, I, but I never even came close. You know, I was signing contracts a couple of years before I had free agency. I just, I don't know, it was one of those things too is like, I never dreamt of this life, you know? I never dreamt. Right. Like, I came from a small town in Michigan. Like, my parents were both blue collar. Dad's a mailman, mom's a teacher. And, you know, I never dreamt of NFL. I just thought it was cool to play in the NFL. So, yes, while you want to be appreciated and you want to be valued, but, Money was never a huge motivating factor for me. So I was just happy to play in the NFL, happy to play for the organization that I loved and be in San Francisco and all that stuff. Um, but on the field, you know, I think one of the things that I told a lot of kids, especially when I was older, was like really find a routine and be consistent with it. Um, mm. That was huge for me was um, it wasn't just like a thing where like every day was a new thing. Like, hey, I'm going to focus on this or whatever. It's I think a lot of kids, especially now, I noticed that coming from college, it's, it's not the same. Like, you have to have a crazy discipline. And it's got to be repped and, and like, um, can, it's got to be consistent. Um, it can't just be something you turn on and turn off. It's got to be something that's practiced day in and day out. And that was important for me is, like, I didn't care if it was April 2nd or, you know, getting ready for the playoffs. Like, my days were the same. My... Um, preparation was the same and it was just routine it was like something that I just consistently did um I had to work out a few years to like find out what worked you know I was trying a bunch of different things but once I got it it was like this is what I'm doing this is what I'm doing and it was just kind of like clockwork and it worked for me so yeah that's that's a great point and and that can be translated to life for anybody you find yeah. that routine that makes you successful every single day that sets you up to win through your career, but also as a dad, a husband, whatever it may be. And that's the routine that you stick to daily. And yeah, there's times of life that are a little different, but it's like on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis, you showed up. Have you found a routine since leaving the NFL that sets you up for success each day? Yeah, not like a huge routine right now, because I mean, right now it's like my summer. So I'm like, you know, I got nothing going on it's just a bunch of family stuff and hanging out and friends and stuff like that we're doing a little bit of traveling but i do because all it was weird when when you retired i mean you probably went through the same thing it was yeah. like you for the last 20 years of my life had my schedules kind of like you got to be here then this has got to be going to be here this this time we're doing this this is practice you know your whole life's kind of laid out for you in a schedule and you just show up and work hard right um and now you just have all this free time and so what i one thing i did is like i built a gym immediately because it's just like something that was super important in my life for the last 20 years was like you know working out and the physical activity yep um so i built out a little gym and i have a group of like four or five dads that are in an area that you know never worked out but i was like hey we're gonna work out we're gonna hold each other accountable and it's like every morning i get up at 5 30 and the dads come over at 6.30 before they go they go work. And we get a workout in every single day. So it's just like that routine and just knowing that I have 
fat, I'm accountable to something, you know, whether it's this whatever, but it's, um, that's a good start to my day always. And then from there, it's just kind of like the kids' schedules, um, going through whatever. And I am enjoying a little bit of more freedom than I had. Um, you know, with football, I was so like regimented with what I did in my time. Um, it is nice just kind of being like, yeah, I got, I don't know what's going on today. So, but a yeah. lot of my stuff kind of goes through the, um, around like physical activity and workouts and all that stuff. So yeah, me too. To me. Yeah. For so long, everything we did started with a workout or a rehab session or something that got you going in the morning. When yeah. I, when my career first ended, there were days where I was like, well, you know, I don't really have to work out today. Well, I never felt like I ever even woke up that day. Like I would just like walk around in a foggy, hazy mode. I didn't really have that much to do. You know, we had just moved into our house. So I was like, oh, I can just like, you know, unpack boxes or whatever. I was like, man, I need to get into a rhythm here, get into some type of schedule or I have some type of morning routine that at least sets me up for some success. So I feel like I won the day, even if I just knocked out a workout, like I did something yeah. productive, you know, to, to set myself up for a win that day. It's pretty cool that you had a group of dudes to be able to train with too. I got a gym in Louisville. So when I hit that first deal, well, we would wear these heart rate monitors and I would get in there and just compete with them. And I'd have to win each class, like the amount mm -hmm. of points. And they'd be like, well, you're the fattest. I'm like, well, I'm also working harder. Like we're, we're yeah. all competing off of our heart rate. Like you can get your heart rate up too. And so. Sorry, you don't like to compete. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, but I had, but I had that group to hold me accountable too. And if you skip today, you'd hear it. So um, accountability in your life, no matter who it's coming from, when you can get a group of dudes that are on the same mission as you, uh, that's always going to be helpful. And I'm excited to tell you about a product that I've been absolutely loving lately. And that's the Uller from Chili Pad. It is a temperature controlled mat that goes under your sheets on your bed. It controls your body temperature throughout the night. I originally heard this product endorsed by Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, David Nurse, and others, and I knew I had to give it a try. Maximizing the amount of deep sleep you get in a night is so important, especially when it's not possible at times to get a full seven or eight hours. Chili Pad puts you at the perfect temperature all night to promote deep sleep. When you get enough deep sleep, your learning capability is higher, your memory is stronger, you're prepared to take on your toughest workouts, in other words, you're in peak physical and mental shape after a night of true recovery. That's why finding a way to get more deep sleep is always at the top of my priority list. I will attach a link to purchase the Chili Pad in the show notes and use code ERIC22 at checkout to get 22% off your order. I personally use the Uller and I love it. Now that you found a career, a passion post-career, for my understanding, in, in training offensive linemen, for the draft and then into their rookie year. First, I want to ask you, what, what advice you mentioned you, you tell them to find a routine that sets them up for success day in and day out. What other advice are you giving them to successfully transition into the NFL? Well, really, I mean, it was, so I, I kind of got into that because the, you know, the injury thing and the, the sudden retirement, I was sitting where I didn't have a plan for post-career football, you know, what I was going to do. Um, so I got with my agent, I was like, you know, I need something just to occupy my time. I don't want to be sitting around. Just which first, which first, let me make a point. I respect that you didn't have a, a, a plan post-career. One, you weren't necessarily going into that season saying you were going to retire. 
but you were all in on ball. I, I felt like I was the same way. And not that I disrespected guys that really set themselves up for the next career. I just felt like a lot of times I watched guys end their career early because they wanted to dabble in real estate or broadcasting or whatever. And I hopped into the broadcast world and I can tell you, it takes, it takes 25 years, 30 years to make what I made in one year in broadcasting or real estate. So go all in while yeah. you're in the NFL because, and, and, and don't worry about it. If you have a foundation of family, friends, faith, whatever is important to you, and you have a foundation, like you'll find something, you'll make it work. But if oh, you're yeah. really worried about the next thing, you're going to hit it quicker than you want to. Sorry to cut you off. I just, some people will be like, yeah, and I, I didn't have a plan. And I'm like, that's great. I love that. Cause that means yeah, I've, that was like, amen to everything you said, because that's how I felt when I played football. It was like, it takes so much effort and time and like focus to be high level professional athletes at what we did. It was like, I don't have time to set myself up for classes and take different things. And like, I, this is time that I could be using to study for this or that, right. or, you know, training my body this way or that. So yeah, I was the same way. And I always kind of gave that answer when anybody from like the, you know, the player development side was like, hey, you interested in doing, I'm like, no, I, I, I have my family and I have football and that's, that's where my life's at. So I'm not right. doing it. And I was pretty much the same way in college too. They're like, what's your major? I'm like political science. So like, what do you want to do with that? I'm like, nothing. I want to play ball. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I'll figure it out if I can't, but I want to play football. Yeah. Um, so then signed on to do the training for the, you know, through the agency, whoever they signed for the next year. Um, but then two of the guys, Spencer Brown and Dylan Ravens from, he got drafted by the Titans. Their seasons got canceled because they're uh, FBS guys. So the work started super quick and Spencer was like, I just want to get out there. I want to, you know, start working with Joe. And so he came down here and was, it was like beginning of October and he was about, I don't know, 10 minutes away from me. He worked out with my trainer that I had, uh, Roberto Wallace, for the last like seven years of my career. He was my own trainer that I had down here. He did basically like my off-season program. And then they started the combine training stuff in, in January. But we got, um, and I didn't know, you know, this was my first foray into like coaching. I didn't even have a program. I didn't have anything I was going to teach this guy. I was just like, it, it was like, it started out honestly within like, I'm an open book. Ask me anything you want to know about the NFL world, my career, what I think made me successful, the things that I think, you know, were wastes of time that I did. You know, I can try to just advance your progression and open up your eyes. So at least you go in with an understanding of what you're about to get into. Right. Um, Cause you know, we play long enough in the NFL, you, you see what works, you see different players that, you know, maybe not have, weren't as talented coming in, but really developed into something. And then you saw guys that are super talented and, you know, fell off really early and, you know, you kind of see why and you realize why. And so I was just like, just spewing everything I could to these guys. And um, we watched a ton of film, you know, we went over our, a lot of different schemes. Um, you know, basically I just kind of like presented it with these guys as like, this is what this is what I wish I knew going in from college in the NFL because mm -hmm. I think a lot of kids coming in they think they that college football is like is a high level I mean it is a high level of football but it's completely different than the NFL right um, I mean the game planning is different uh, you know defenses are different how they run their offenses are different um, 
a lot of times they don't understand like just targeting, you know, all that stuff. And if you're having to spend that much time playing catch up always as a, as a rookie, um, your first year, and it's like your first year is almost a waste and much more so because of, uh, as an offensive lineman than it is for, you know, say receivers or, you know, DBs, linebackers, those guys, I mean, it's much more, they're like relying on athleticism. Um, for sure. Alignment is so much more technical and there's so many more details that you have to have um, coming out and understand that you know, I was really just kind of imparting on them just stuff that I, I wish I knew when I was uh, a rookie. Yeah. And, and what a cool job it is to be able to just pass on lessons that you've been given through the game, show them some landmines that they hopefully don't have to step on that maybe you did earlier in your career and mm -hmm. they get to advance that you get fulfillment that not that you get to live through them, but you get to pour into this next generation of O-linemen. And people keep talking about how bad the O-linemen are getting coming in the NFL. I'm like, well, defenses are complex. Offenses are complex in the NFL. Not so much in college. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, I don't even think it – honestly, I don't even think it's like the level of talent because the talent level coming in is, I think, so much greater than what it's been. Right. You know, obviously, when I started coming in, um, you know, my generation, but – so much more physically talented it's now it's they just have such a shorter like patience level from the front office they like mm. they give them basically a year or two years and if you can't do it in those first two years then we'll move on and get you out of there and they just get shuffled around and um and also the off-season stuff they you know yep. in 2007 we had two days you know i'm all for i'm all for um you know taking care of everybody's body but we also sign up to play professional football and there's a little bit of the you got to work and you're going to have to put your body through hell. You're not going to feel good. It's not basketball. It's not a baseball. It's a contact sport. Everybody knows what the hell we signed up for. And if you don't, then play something else because you need to work. You need that on-field reps, the on-field work. It's super vital to development and it's kind of gone now. You know, they've done so much to like protect the guy's bodies and do all this stuff, which is good to an extent, but also, you need practice work. You know, I don't think you need to do two days every day, but um, you, you need to get a little bit more than just an hour and a half on the field and some shells um, when you're an offensive lineman. You know, that's my two cents on that whole thing. So I think that's more of the, the, the reason why, you know, lineman development isn't what it used to be. Yeah, and that's where I think – couple points on that one there could be great value in having um, a developmental league under the nfl whether oh, that's the xfl the aaf or whatever it is so that these guys get more time to develop and they don't get in there for two years they say well this guy stinks we got to move on from him and then when we signed that cba in 2011 that limited the two days and then they signed it again which limited the contact even further all that did was extend the veteran, especially the guys up front, extend their careers. One, they don't take as much wear oh, yeah. and tear, but they already know how to play the game. So they don't yeah. need those extra reps. I was talking to Richie the other day and Gruden. So he's got Gruden and they got Cable out there. I mean, those are two guys that like to have a grueling camp. Well, their OTAs is a, virtually a walkthrough right now. He's like, dude, it's lovely. You know, Richie's going to be 39 years old. I mean, yeah. he's like, dude, this is easy. You know, I feel great, but – it's going to be really tough for these rookies when they get their first action in training camp and they just start getting tossed around by some of these dudes because they, they don't know how to be physical. And so I, I agree with your point 100% there. You mentioned Spencer Brown. A lot of Bills fans tune in the podcast. What 
can Bills fans expect to see from Spencer Brown? And, and I'm not asking you to say, you know, come in and be a ball buster from the start, but what type of kid is he? Awesome. So he's a, like throughout, after the process of working him for like from October to end of March, and then all these coaches and scouts kind of found out that I was working with these guys. So they were count, they were calling because there was a, you know, in the COVID, they weren't doing a lot of recruiting. The scouts weren't. And the main thing that I said about Spencer was like, he's going to fit in in every single O-line room. Like he's such a good dude. He's a genuine person. He's not one of those guys that tries to have a persona or act a certain way. He's just like a really humble, hardworking, good kid. Um, and it was awesome getting to work with him because he is raw and he came from, I mean, shoot, he played eight-man football in Iowa in high school. Um, kind of the same project that we were as a, like, he was a tight end, lanky tight end, kind of developed into a O-line prospect. Um, and then also the, the level of competition, you know, you're playing the FBS schools. He's, he was able to get away with so much more that he won't be able to in the NFL. Um, and so we, we worked on a ton of, like, just, like, you know, how to put it all together, like, because he has so much physical tools, so... I'm excited to see where his career goes just because I know the person and the physical tools that he has in his body. He's going to really be a really good, um, he's a, I'd say prospect right now. Like he, right. he's going to put it together and I know he's going to, and that's why I think it's a good situation for him and the bills. He's got franchise quarterback. He's got, um, you know, coach is going to be there for a long time. They have a solid front office that's not going to, you know, move on and all that stuff. And he's got two guys on either side that he doesn't have to come in and be thrown in right away. So he's going to do a good job, learn, and he's going to develop really quick because um, his physical tools are off the charts. And then also the makeup mentally um, takes criticism. He's not sensitive. You know, he's he's a good dude. He, he's a he was a lot of fun to work with. So I'm fired up to watch him play this year. That's great news. If he does play, I mean, if he doesn't, I'm fired up to watch him develop this year. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. that's great news. Uh, you said he won't be sensitive. One of my least favorite things about, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that say our generation or the generation before is more physical. They were tougher. But, I am. I'm, but, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things, as the offensive lineman got younger in the room, or as I got older, I felt like they just got more and more sensitive. I think a lot of it's social media. They've been told they yeah. were so good for so long. There were a lot of big-time rivals. Um, you know, they were big-time rivals, prospects. They were getting their butts kissed since they were 14 years old. And then they come into an NFL offensive line room where we're not, like, hazing them at all. We're just yeah. trying to be like, no, no, no. If our O-line stinks, we're all probably out of here. So this is yeah. the standard, like exactly. – don't be soft about this. And so I had like one of those old school bells because I was the fine guy in our room. And yeah. so sensitive fines were the number one. And if yeah. you got one sensitivity fine, you were getting another because I'd find you for sensitivity. And then sure enough. And then sure enough, they'd be sensitive about getting fined. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, there's another one. We can keep going or you can just be quiet. And then if they were quiet about it, I'd be like, oh, okay, big baller. You don't care about uh, giving up your money. That was a big baller fine. I say this, the listeners are going to think that's terrible. These were $5 deals, and we gave half of it away at Christmas time, and the other half we took a trip with. It wasn't like the vets went and bought a Harley or something. So, uh, But that's great news about Spencer. And is it unfamiliar for you to talk about the Bills like that since for so much of your career, the Bills stunk, 
a lot of my years. But then now you're like, hey, they got a franchise quarterback. They have such great structure in the front office. It's like yeah, they're exciting to watch the last couple of years for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Bills on the on the, on the schedule. Well, I mean, I I could say that, but it's not like I was out there playing for the Patriots for the last you know 13 years of my career. There was Niners were really bad for shoot. We had year we were two and fourteen, so. There's ebbs and flows of everything. It's the, that's what makes the NFL great. It's so much parity every year. Right. Last one, and then we'll get to some recurring questions. And, and I'm not asking you to make a big political statement here. But as, as I was thinking about when you said, you know, I wasn't playing for the Patriots, I was thinking about all the quarterbacks you play with and all that. Yeah. I'm not, like I said, I'm not asking you to make a political statement, but how wild was it when you were going through the time with Colin Kaepernick? Because I remember when you guys came to Buffalo, that was right after he knelt. Our stadium, that was like the craziest our stadium ever was, booing him. Was that week in and week out that year? Yeah. Um, it was very – you definitely got like a lot of the stuff in the – like with the national anthem and all that stuff that was going on. Um, it really wasn't like from the outside looking in, everybody would kind of like – and then also looking back on it, like people would think that it was a certain way in there. It really wasn't because from the get-go, we had a lot of meetings. Like, we didn't know, A, that this was going on until it was maybe a week after it did it for the first time. And then we had a bunch of meetings and we kind of came together and Colin got in front of everybody and was like, this is why I'm doing this. And I feel like this is, you know, it's nothing disrespectful. And he was explaining about, you know, the reasons why. And he wanted to bring light to a lot of the social justice issues that he wanted to. And, um you know, it was just, it's just like anything that's about great about the NFL and that's about being in a locker room is like, you have so many people that come from different backgrounds. You have so many people that have different viewpoints on whatever, but everybody comes together because we're all part of a team and a family and we all just care about each other. Right. Um, so like from that moment on, we were like, yeah, we got your back and we're, we're rolling and it's fine. And, you know, it, it did get annoying because every single, not annoying, but it got to be every single week you were getting it was at least like 10 questions, especially for me. I was like one of the captains, one of the leaders on the team. So I was getting, you know, I get 10 questions a, a, a day about, you know, the Colin stuff and you give the answers and it's like, everybody just waiting for something to happen. They're waiting just like to antagonize you to get you to say something that would possibly get them a headline click, you know? Right. And so that got old because you knew the media was just trying to, antagonize someone to say something that could get them a click or whatever but it really was like you know we understood we had his back and it's, it's, it's what it was so it wasn't a huge thing for you know me personally to be like wow this is wild to be a part of and you know i completely understood where he's coming from and um you know we kind of went from there yeah we um so we played you guys right after it happened. And like the week after the first kneel down, you all came to Buffalo. So it was tons of questions. And, and I think that those questions and that attention is obviously the reason that he hasn't been on a roster. And it's not talent. It's just it comes with a lot. And those owners don't love all that distraction. It's not necessarily that maybe they're against him politically. It's the same reason that Tim Tebow wasn't signed for so long. You bring in a backup quarterback, a guy that's likely going to be a backup. And he's going to bring so much attention that you probably don't want to deal with it. They put me up in front of, up on the microphone on Monday for a press conference after we played you guys. And we had a number of guys take a knee. And I'm like, we have so many well-spoken black men on our team. Will you please put one of them up on for the press conference? But they put me up there. And 
I, everyone was waiting to just roast me, watch me put my foot in my mouth. And all I said was, look, some guys knelt, some didn't. I didn't feel like, I felt like a phony if I took a knee because I don't feel what they feel. But I'll say this, all the guys that took a knee are going to lose endorsements. They could potentially lose their job. If I felt strong enough about anything in my life that I'd be willing to do that, I'd hope that my teammates would respect me. And I said, I love those dudes. I respect them. And that's all I can give you guys. And they're all like, oh, I guess that makes a little bit of sense. And that, that was me sitting around all day knowing that that press conference was coming. And I was like, okay, I don't care what you guys ask. This is my statement. So that was a, a wild time in the NFL. Got a few recurring questions. I'll get you out of here. What's your favorite book? Ooh, favorite book. Um, I go all over the place. Um, I don't ever really read. I mean, my best book, my favorite book that I read recently was Splendid in the Vile. Um, it was about like, yeah, Churchill during the few years before the U.S. got in the World War II. Um, I read a lot of like the history kind of war spy books. I'm reading this one now about um, Ken Philby, um, who was a MI6 spy that was a double agent for the KGB during the World War II. Um, I like all the Malcolm Gladwell books. I love uh, his books. I sure. Dude, you're more you're more well read than uh, most, I would say. You need to every, give yourself a little well, bit. Well, I, I it helps me go to bed. Honestly, I read I read every night, so I read usually about an hour every night. Um, try to read about two books a month. I'm just trying to go through like the recent ones. I've read a lot of like just nonfiction. I don't know. I don't have like an actual like favorite book that's a go to. I mean, honestly, like my favorite book, my most uh recommended book is sapiens mm. um or homo deus i haven't homo read that a little one. bit that's a little bit different um yeah. it gets a little bit scary and futuristic but um that's a really good book um under no not that like all the crack hour books are really good um i don't know I don't have a favorite book, but I love to read. So yeah, good stuff. What was your first car? Uh, my first car was a 1993 Dodge Dakota. Nice. Rusted outside panels. Um, bought it with my own money from being a short order cook, high school, and uh, super proud of it. Had it till college, and yeah. What was the first car you bought when you got in the league? Uh. Tahoe. Me too. Uh, yeah. 2007 Tahoe. Yeah. I went 09. So we got the, we both yeah. got the new one when we got drafted. Yeah. I think it was the same model too. That was a sweet car. Um, what's your favorite restaurant? Um, favorite restaurant is there's a couple down here in San Diego. Um, Campfire. It's in Carlsbad. It's really good. Um, born and raised downtown San Diego, really like that. And then my favorite in San Francisco was uh, House of Prime Rib. Nice, I'll have to try that. Ever in San Francisco, you, that's a must. You have to go there if you like prime rib because they just serve prime rib. And and if you're American, you should. Uh, <laughs> that'll find somebody. Uh, last question: 
what's next for Joe Staley? You got, are you going to continue the uh, prepping the guys for the draft? And then you said you got some travel this summer. Where's the travel off to? Well, I actually headed off tonight to back to the Bay Area. My buddy is, um, he was the head wrestling coach at Stanford for, shoot, 12 years. Um, and then he just took a new job at American University in D.C. So his family's flying. I volunteered to go on the road trip across country with them. So I'm flying up tonight. We're leaving tomorrow morning. And we're taking about five days to drive out to D.C., stopping along the way. And then um, we go up to Tahoe a lot. Uh, we have a trip planned there after the 4th and the Lake Tahoe. I, don't, I forgot that we're not in California right now. Um, yeah, we get it out here. Yeah, okay. And then um, in the fall, I'm going to be finishing my degree. I never finished my degree, so that's what I got going on. Um, possibly some – it's not finalized or a final decision yet, but um, – Got some broadcast stuff, uh, possible media stuff they'll be doing in the fall during the football year. And then um, training the guys again in the spring. So it's kind of be like a teacher job where I'll be doing that stuff during football season. Uh, the spring job will be the uh, training the guys, getting ready for the draft. And then from April to August, I'll just do a lot of travel with the fam. Yeah, and that's kind of what broadcasting has been for me. It's kept me in a rhythm of working during the fall, and then you get an off season where you can travel and play golf and hang with your buddies, which I've done. Uh, you'll have to let me know how you talk to your wife. And to, uh, we have two kids. I understand you have two kids as well. We have a Grace. You have a Grace as well. I saw oh, yeah, uh, sure. one of your bios. But you'll have to tell me how you, let, you talk to your wife into letting you drive cross country. Um, I get like golf trips, and I get like three and four nights away, but – Driving cross country with a buddy sounds pretty fun. Well, it was at first. That, this is uh, well. They're like, I mean, his wife is my one of my wife's best friends. Like these are, you know, some of my best friends right here. And yeah. um, if you know him, I say this in a loving way. If you knew him, he he needs help. You know, he couldn't do this trip by himself. So I'm going gotcha. out there. My wife, yeah, she was, she was actually like one of her ideas. I think. Um, gotcha. I've been around the house a lot, you know, know. The last year. So she's just like, yeah, get out, do whatever you want to do. I know. That's funny. It, a bunch of my buddies would be like, dude, how you get away with all these golf trips and all these guys trips. I'm like, you got to understand, like I'm there making breakfast every morning. I'm oh, there yeah. for lunch a lot of days and I'm home for dinner. Like yeah. if I'm gone a few days, I'm still at home more than you're. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like my friends, same thing with my friends. It's like, you know, I'm asking them to go, hey, do you want to go grab a drink or you guys want to go watch this game or you guys want to go do something, go golf? And and they're like, no, nah, I've kind of been out of the house. Work's been tough. And they're the same thing with me. And I'm, I'm home all the time. Like what I get when I get like if I get a weekend, if I was gone every single weekend of the year, I'm still probably putting in more hours at home with the family and, you know, all that stuff during the week. So absolutely. Anyway, I'm with you. I, I get you there. Yep. Same page here. Hey, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate your words. It, I've always been a fan of yours. I said it earlier, always looked up to you. I'm so happy that, you know, you got out of the NFL, you had the neck deal, but you lost the weight, you feel good and keep, keep making an impact on this next generation too. I think there's, you know, the broadcasting's fun and it gives, it keeps you around ball, but being able to pour into people like you are is what it's all about. And, and I yeah. think it's awesome, brother. I appreciate that, man. I've been a big fan of you as well. You know, we didn't, our paths didn't cross a whole lot. You know, we had that time to spend in 
at the at the the pro ball together but uh i've always been an admirer of your game as well so it's cool to connect like this and uh we definitely have to also race on peloton too so absolutely big we'll get love love peloton so me too and and now that you're in that like 250 range you're at that perfect sweet spot of you can push serious wattage but you're also thin enough that you can withstand doing it for 30 minutes and it's like that's the sweet spot people are like oh you're you're huge i'm like well you know i'm not 300 pounds anymore but yeah i could still i could still move it but the kicker is you can't be too big or else you don't have the stamina yeah it's the best it's like it's it's my it's my only competitive outlet that i have right now because i don't do any like softball leagues or anything like that golf leagues so i i need a competitive outlet because i'm a very very competitive person and I get very serious about Peloton. <laughs> yeah, let's rock. Let's, let's rock. It. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or with your followers on social media. Also, shoot us a rating and support the sponsors whose information is in the show notes. Until next time, as I tell my daughter before she leaves for school every day, spread some joy and make it the best day ever.